Welcome to the Midcast, presented by the Mission Initiative Group of the Baptist Union of Scotland. Each month we will look at some of the key issues for mission in Scotland today. We'll bring you experienced voices, practical insights and unique stories, all focused on the mission of the church in Scotland. Hi there, welcome to the Midcast. My name's Glenn Innes. Thank you for taking the time to download this week's episode. This is part two of a three-part series with Brian Sanders of the Underground Network. In the first episode, if you haven't listened to it, and I'd encourage you, before you listen to this one, go back and listen to it. But in that first episode, we really spoke with Brian about his background and uh, the beginning of the Underground Network in Tampa. In this episode, we're going to dig in a little to what a microchurch is and uh, where the language comes from, what's meant by it, and really what are some examples of it. It's a conversation that I massively enjoyed, and I think there are some really profound insights there uh, that I hope are both enjoyable and helpful for you as you think about your own uh, church and ministry. Enjoy the conversation. That's a great opportunity for us, I guess, just to shift gears a little and talk about kind of what we've used language like microchurch and stuff like that and it, it, I think it'd be really helpful for our listeners just to spend a moment or two asking the question what do you mean when you say you use those words or that word microchurch because you know we've we've had missional church we've had emerging church we've been talking <laughs> recently about disciple making movements yeah. I suspect most people are familiar with the language of missional communities just about every church has tried small groups of some description and now along comes the latest one, right. microchurch. Yeah. And uh, the risk with language is always that it becomes so amorphous that it doesn't mean anything. So we're right at the front edge of this. So Brian, you get the chance <laughs> to tell us what does microchurch mean? Well, I mean, I could say what we yeah. what what we've come to, but I but I, I I think the more important thing is is the idea of the irreducible minimum. So okay. so what would it be for you? What would it be for you know, Baptists in Scotland, every, they can make their own mind up. Well, we got we got a declaration of principle that has three things in it. The first is that Jesus is Lord, or Jesus is supreme. The second is about baptism, it's about our means of uh, entrance into the church. And then the third is about mission, every, the, okay. the, the, the responsibility of every believer to do. To, I love it. So there, that may be your ecclesial mission. Yeah, right. So I would say, okay, so the important thing is to answer that question. What really is the church? And then what you're left with, the simplest, smallest version of the church, that's a microchurch for you. So if that were to happen with a group of people who are part of a, a football league, mm. could you would you could we have the courage to go ahead and call that a church? Where Jesus is Lord, people are entering into the kingdom through baptism. I would add we would add community as maybe a, a, a layer, yeah. real relationships with each other, and then mission, expanding the boundaries of the kingdom in some way. I would say when those three things are overlapping, those kind of concentric circles are overlapping, you're, you're looking at the church. You're looking at an expression of the church. So let's just, let's just, you could define it yourself. There could be nine pieces, there could be four, there could be whatever, but whatever it is, figure out what the smallest unit is so that you can then replicate it, so that you can give it away or put it into the hands of called people who are actually meant to bring the fullness of the sacramental life into the place of mission, into the world of mission. So there's something important here that I just want to grasp because you're not talking about the irreducible minimum as a 
how low can we get? No. But as a, where's the entry point for this? Because we so see how important naming something as the church is yeah. for its purpose and the future, just like we were talking earlier, uh, you know, the, a parachurch taking on the sacramental roles or, a, 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 or the, the church yeah. taking on the missional roles. Actually naming it that gives it some power in, it, in and of itself. So that's an important shift that we're not just trying to get as low as we can, but we're no. saying where's the entry point here? And it's about starting things. It's about, yeah. it's about letting the church be everywhere it can possibly be. It's a, it's a missional impulse. It's saying, okay, there, there are little nooks and crannies all over this, this city and all the cities of Scotland which need Jesus. They need, they need a, 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 a visible, tangible witness of him and his kingdom. And so we just want to put them everywhere. So if you make them too big and you make them too costly, then you reduce your ability to offer the kingdom to everyone everywhere in every kind of niche or place or possibility. And you don't activate as many people into leadership and the discipleship experience that comes from leadership. I mean, I was just thinking this morning about in, in social psychology, that, that's maybe more my field of social science, there's something called the Goldilocks effect, which interestingly enough, the Goldilocks principle or the Goldilocks effect, you know, the yep. the, the little children's yeah, parable yeah, yeah. or whatever. This one's too small, this one's too big, this yeah, one's just right. Yeah, what's the just right kind of thing? But actually, it's it's almost like, a, it's a cross-disciplinary concept. You have it in math, you have it in statistics, I think it's called the, the, the Goldilocks uh, form or something like that. You have it in astrophysics, like the idea of, of what's called rare earth, which is actually, it's you have to be just far enough away from just a certain kind of star to be able for life to exist. Yeah. You know, that it's, it's very small, just right. just right. The Goldilocks principle, it applies in almost every discipline. You have some version of the Goldilocks mm. effect or the Goldilocks principle. And I, th I think that's important in ecclesiology. What actually is the perfect, the right size for the church? Mm. You know, it's... It, we. At least in America, we have really bought into this, I think, erroneous assumption that bigger is better. Mm -hmm. That the bigger a thing is, the more blessed it is, the more, more God is at work. And I just think there's so much evidence now, data, to say that is not true. Conversions, uh, transformative impact, actually is at a higher level, a higher percentage kept in, in smaller versions of the church. Not only that, but if you believe in the sovereignty of God at any level, you just think, okay, God has not maybe been totally absent in the formation of his church over 2,000 years. Yeah. The church is not big. It always takes the form of about under 100 people. Yeah. I mean, 95% of the time in world history, including today, yeah. churches are not Big. We're talking about phenomenologically. If you just say, "Okay, God is not totally impotent," yeah, in the well, building of His church, it's important that we believe that. I think, it is right? important <laughs> that we believe it. But yet, we look at the church. We look at church, and it's it is primarily small. It is primarily fifty, sixty, a hundred people, something like yeah. that. And yet, we just think there's something wrong with that. We have to fix that somehow. Yeah. So then, there's this striving that it creates, hmm. where now everybody's trying to be big. They're trying to be thousands. Yeah. And of course, you, you probably know as well as anyone working with 
church leaders, pastors, that that it's not bearing great fruit for their souls. <laughs> like that's striving to be like, you just feel like you're inadequate. You feel like what you're doing isn't right. It isn't good enough. It isn't touched by God. But, but it's an interesting question to ask. What, what would the Goldilocks effect be or the Goldilocks principle? How would it be applied in ecclesiology? And of course, for me, it's about 50 people. It's about 40 people, which is just enough to create weak tie what's called weak ties relationships yeah. uh there's also what's called the dunbar number you probably it was popularized by in a book by malcolm gladwell it's this idea of like 150 people yeah. like we can't really get beyond relationally beyond mm -hmm. 150 people interestingly the dunbar number has also been used to talk about interweaving relationships of 12 so someone's saying about 12 people creates 144 potential relational dynamics, which is still under the Dunbar number. But the point is, it, none of that is, is, is definitive, yeah. except to say it isn't a thousand people. Right. The, the church is not at its best at a thousand people. Now it can do certain things when it's big and we can be grateful for that. Yeah. And we'd be happy. Maybe every city we hope has a couple of sort of super churches, really yeah. big churches. And they could pull off certain things because of the marshalling of resources. So we'd be thankful for that. But it's an anomaly, Glenn. It's not, it's not the church, actually. Statistically speaking, it is not a reliable expression of what the church is. So how do we own that smaller reality and just say, let's be good at that. Let's encourage that. Let's, let's develop that. Uh, maybe we don't need, if, if you're talking about 40 people, then do you really need a big building? Do you need a massive budget? Do you need, you know, could, could you spend your money slightly differently? Could, could, could those smaller expressions go anywhere? Like, could they go in a leisure center or could they go into a, to a, you know, school or, or a break room at the place you work? Or, they could go anywhere suddenly. Um, so the missiological significance is better. It's as if God knows what he's doing. <laughs> <laughs> Imagine that. Right? <laughs> but, we're, but we're in our striving to be something else, which I'm not sure we should be wanting, to, in point of fact. Maybe a few people, we can celebrate that when it, when it happens. It's fine. But I'm not sure that's the right target for us. So what I would say is, could we get good at the smaller version of the church and then just have lots more of them? So where our ambition comes in is the idea of seeing more of them in a city. So, you know, seeing 10,000 microchurches in a city that are led by disciples, by committed Jesus followers in every place where the kingdom is needed. Yeah. Yeah. Amazing. It begins to change how we think about discipling, developing leaders, uh, and it's certainly would have to change how we think about what we call accreditation or what people call ordination. Ordination, yeah. Mm -hmm. um, in terms of, you're not going to accredit leaders to lead, you know, micro churches of 15, 20 people, you know, even up to 40. You know, that just financially, that's not going to be a, a sustainable model. So, yeah. in your experience so far, have, have the vast majority of those. Uh, what did you say, 2000 in Tampa, those micro churches there, are they led by lay people? No, I don't be. like that language, no, they but. Be. No, they would be, yeah. So that's this kind of, I don't know, the 
this renaissance of that identity in yeah. people to say, now we do, we actually have an ordination. It's interesting because we actually have a process for ordaining those people. Oh, okay. Is elders, what we would call elders. Yeah. Okay, so, good. Because the church should be led by elders. And there's still a role for overseers. There's still a role for, if, if we say the conventional pastoral yep. person, the, the, the theologically trained person, there's still a place for that. So there's nothing to be afraid of here. Instead, I just think the competencies of those people now become about forming and sustaining networks, about serving the, the empowered agency of their people. So instead of saying, okay, I have, I have 300 or 200 parishioners, I'm meant to sort of look after their spiritual life, make sure they have their theology correct, make sure they're growing in some way spiritually, which is a pretty daunting task, mm. in point of fact, and keep going financially and keep a small staff and all that stuff. I would say the new competency for that role, that kind of person, is, is about creating platforms of service to these missional people and their communities. And how do we... How do we coach? So it's new competencies for new structures. How would we coach? But this, we're still needed. People are still needed in that way. But I like the term ordination because I think ordination, it just means to put a thing in its place, right? To put it in its proper order. So if you're called to reach single mothers or something like that, or you're called to care for, I don't know, to create a, a thoughtful outreach to solicitors or something like that, well, we need to ordain that. We need to lay our hands on that person and say, we, we, we acknowledge that call in your life, we support you, and we expect you now to live within the parameters of the expectation of an elder as outlined in Scripture. Mm -hmm. You know, to... to, to so you create some accountability. Totally. So it's ironic, because you, you know, we talked earlier about people's fear of something like the priesthood of all believers or empowerment. Is you know what will happen to orthodoxy and yeah. where is and where is accountability and yeah. so forth, but the irony of it is, we're talking about this this level of empowerment is what is what can generate true accountability and real orthodoxy in the life of its people. You know we look at like because I'm in Ireland now, you can see the Catholic Church, its footprint on a place like that. Everybody's Catholic, but nobody's orthodox, <laughs> right? So yeah. if you're a passive participant in the system. You're Catholic, but you don't believe the thing that the Catholic Church teaches. Yeah. So what is orthodoxy, actually? And, and, and the fact that, you know, we were talking about those big churches, churches of a thousand, that, that has never been a guardian of, Correct. of orthodoxy. Right. Like, just, oh, you're, you're big and you yeah. have structures, therefore you, you, you show up, You turn up on Sunday, so surely you believe everything. Correct. Right. And that does, it, it doesn't work that way. way. Yeah, it doesn't work Absolutely. that way. So we want accountability. Those fears are warranted. You know, we, we want we want. How do we create systems of accountability for networks, and how do we how do we care about orthodoxy? You know, also. And would the goal be for you know? So we have the thought the person doing the thoughtful outreach to uh, to solicitors begins to establish a community around that. We call it church, micro church. Um, is the is it intended in a microchurch setup? Oh, I, I should say, is it required in a microchurch setup in order for it to be healthy and sustainable? For for part of the goal of that be to spawn another microchurch to 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 spin something off. Is that is that a necessary component of it? I mean, for us, it isn't. Okay. Um, so this this might be a slight 
divergence from something like DMM or yeah um, it's for us it really is about the restoration of the headship of Jesus over his church and so if God has called you to reach solicitors mm-hmm. you might you might work in that field for 10 years and not see a lot of fruit mm-hmm. and we, we just wouldn't want to demoralize that work by saying have you reproduced in six months or have you reproduced in a year or something so much of this kind of innovative work is about learning through failure and experimentation it's the meta skill of the 21st century is can you learn okay not can you strategize so the 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 idea that we were master planners we it's it's all it all comes from a guy called frederick taylor who who wrote a book, probably the most influential book no one's ever heard of <laughs> in the early 20th century called Principles of Scientific Management. And everybody has bought in lock, stock, and barrel to this idea that efficiency and productivity and bringing the idea of sort of engineering into social mm-hmm. enterprise. The churches have really believed that. I, I think there's a lot to learn from it. I think there's, there's, there's grace in that, mm-hmm. those ideas. But I also think it's, maybe harmed us a little bit because we're so convinced that if a thing is not reproducing, if it's not scaling, if it's not doubling down on everything, well, God must not be in it. And in my experience as a missionary, that isn't true. Um, Sometimes faithful mission in a field, particularly where no one else is working, like a blue ocean where nobody goes, or it's an uncontested market space, faithfulness just looks sometimes like persistence. You know, a voice crying in the wilderness, actually. <laughs> yeah. And do you know what? There's something funny about that. I, I think we see that in overseas missionaries. We do. So I can yeah. think of a great number of folks who have faithfully served for literally decades That's in difficult point. spaces in Africa and with seemingly little fruit, but we'd be massively celebrated in our church. That's a good point. Yeah. The Arab if we, yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. If we sent out someone, though, to go and do a mission among solicitors. I'm not sure that if after 10 years with very little fruit but faithful persistence, we would be quite as celebratory about that. It's just an interesting... I don't even think it'd last one year. That's yeah, right. The, the problem, I mean, what, what high skill competency comes to us in a year? I mean, name a single thing, playing the violin or, I don't know, playing football or whatever. You think you're going to be you know, mastering something. It doesn't happen. But when it comes to ministry, we have this strange relationship to ministry where if, if, if we try something in ministry, we try to share our faith or we try to, try to start something in our home or we try something and it just doesn't come off the first two times we do it. We just think, God must not be in this. This must be wrong. It's like some kind of delusion that we have of, of the way God works is never through difficulty or perseverance. Which isn't, yeah. which isn't biblical. Yeah, you know? right. uh, it's actually probably the opposite. Yeah. That the, it's the anomaly that yeah. it works right away. Okay. You know, and, and it's a miraculous kind of beginning. Those things happen, but that's the odd story. Okay. Instead, it's, it's like, will we persevere in a space and believe? And can we be called people? That's why I'm, I, it's big for me about lordship and the headship of Jesus and returning to that, saying, okay, God has called me here. And so until he releases me from that call, and then the church, the centralized church, has to support that call, has to say, 
if God has called you there, we're behind you. We're going to stick with you and for as long as you need to be there. So things do scale. Yeah. Uh, but it's about, for our microchurches, it's about, it's about 25%. It's about 25% that are reproducing, if you could put it that yeah, way. Yeah, yeah. There are other things are coming out yeah. of them. Um, and that, that can shift. You know, It can be a different 25% yeah. one year than another. Yeah. Um, I just I don't know if that that's anxiety producing like the idea of okay. like quickly let's yeah 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 and I'm just not sure that's as useful or helpful as we want it to be and we just have to be careful of metrics in general like are they the right metrics right. are they vanity metrics like the problem with maybe more of disciple making movement kind of thinking is like it all is going back to the top like it's some sort of pyramid scheme where we want to show it's just another way we're saying bigger is better actually it's just another um, temptation towards aggrandizement instead of the glory of God now don't get me wrong yeah. we want to see movement happen we yeah. do we, we should in, in, a, in a deep place that, that is separate from our ego we should want to see God glorified to see his glory cover the earth as the waters cover the sea yeah um, but we may not always be able to draw a line back to ourselves of how we started this thing that multiplied and whatever. But having said that, it does happen. Yeah. But I think you have to try. Maybe you need 100 initiatives to see 25 that are reproducing. Maybe that's a, yeah. a, a part of it. And you have to say yes and support fully the other 75 mm -hmm. uh, with equal... Um, commitment. Okay. So, and, 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 and the 25 that are reproducing are not somehow more valid than the other I don't, Yeah, I don't, I don't think so. I, I think that maybe, maybe it's down to the leader's capacity, maybe it's down to just the Spirit of God touching certain things, and we don't know why. And, um, but I, but I, it's, 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 a, it's a tricky... It, it just reminds me of the, the, the kind of the heresy of the, the prosperity healing notion that like if you have enough faith you'll be healed if you have enough faith you'll be wealthy and so therefore ergo if you aren't healed yeah you exactly. don't have enough faith and that that that's such such a demonic leap yeah to make yeah. you can see just how damaging that would be to people who aren't being healed yeah. who have prayed in faith uh, and we, we just need to live in the paradox of that. Sometimes there's healing, sometimes there isn't healing. And the same, I think, goes with something like reproduction or scaling or, or revival or something like that. We can't, we can't say, well, we're not seeing revival, so we must be out of the will of God or unloved by God or something. It's yeah. not, that isn't right. Yeah, absolutely. I wonder if you would say something, you touched on it just very briefly, but I think it's important as we begin to talk more about innovation in our uh, circles and encourage people towards uh, trying new things. Where's the place of, of of the thing that fails? How do we? How 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 have you made that work in your in your sphere? Well, there's a guy. There's a guy called Nassim Talib who wrote. He he came to came to prominence. He wrote a book called The Black Swan Effect, I mm -hmm. think. Um, but his his more recent book is a book called Anti Fragile. He's a he's a bit strange. He's kind of iconoclastic, but. I wouldn't necessarily recommend his books. They're, they really are odd, but he has this—he has this argument that 
there are there are organizations or, or enterprises that are fragile. That is to say, when when trouble comes, they break. Mm-hmm. You know, they break under the weight of their own turmoil or whatever it is. Uh, the second category calls robust, which is like they survive. You know, when when tribulation happens, yeah. when conflict, whatever, they they buckle down and they make it through. But then he gives us this, I think, this really profoundly helpful category of what he calls anti-fragile communities or systems, which actually thrive in the conflict. They they, they thrive in the tribulation. They, They become the best version of themselves in the tribulation. And I think that's a really good... Um, metaphor image for the church I, I think we're meant to be anti-fragile I think we're meant to be at our best when we're failing mm. to, to, to because we become desperate because we become vertical mm. um, because we trust we need to trust God more we're less in the flesh we dive more deeply into scripture we, we, sh- we know how to handle trouble mm. actually um, and so Yes, there is a there is a sense that all innovation is practice. All innovation is failure and learning from things that don't work. But I actually think you're all we're also imagining the kingdom of God, the not yet kind of kingdom of God that we live in, is meant to be anti fragile. It's meant to like when, when when the world is falling apart, the church emerges as something resilient mm. and clarifying and actually beautiful to a troubled world they look over and say what is it with you people you know how are you how are you how are you thriving in the midst of this chaos or whatever um, but it does go back to the same sort of mechanism of what is failure to us and what is success and when we get that wrong we get paralyzed by it because we think oh I tried this it didn't work I tried it once it didn't work we don't see ourselves as experimentalists. We don't see that as like, oh, what a great gift of learning. And I do think that's something the underground has gotten right. So if you could just be in my community for six months, you would know that that's just how they are. We, we laugh at failure. We celebrate, actually, when things go horribly wrong. And we all have stories of mission where we're deeply embarrassed. <laughs> like yeah. how badly yeah. we did that. Yeah. And, and it's so much joy to be able to tell those stories with more verve, actually, than our success stories. Yeah. It's fun to talk about how embarrassed we were because you're trying. Yeah. You know, because there's guts yeah, yeah, in yeah. that. And I mean, that will sound radical to a lot of people, but it, it, it's in that same category as that kind of, I like my doing something to your doing nothing kind of category. You know, like you're sitting out there just watching and going, oh, I'm not sure about that, but actually... I'm giving it a go, I'm trying, and yeah, I got it wrong, but you know what, we're going to try again, and I I won't make that mistake this time, we'll try something different. And maybe in the end, that's what's beautiful about the the discipled life, is we try. Yeah. So, success, nah, that's that's an elusive game. That's a beautiful way to talk about being a disciple, I try. I try. Yeah. Yeah, we're the ones that try. Yeah, that's great. (laughs) I hope you find that idea of being a disciple, being one who just tries as encouraging for your life. And the, this whole notion of microchurch is something that might be 
a thing that could open up opportunities uh, in your life and in your church. I want to quickly let you know about a conference that the Mission Initiative Group are hosting on Saturday the 29th of February at Easter House Baptist Church. We're taking a day to look at hospitality as mission and we would love to welcome you along to that. We have Andrew Clark speaking, we have a number of people from around our union telling stories of how hospitality has been a help for them in mission and how the act of hospitality connects with our missional activity in the world. We would love to welcome you along to that. Again, details for that can be found in the show notes or on the Scottish Baptist website. Thanks for listening. Make sure that you're subscribed to us so that you get the third part of this interview next week. And we would love it if you had just a second to take some time to review us on whatever app you're using. And if you'd like to get in touch, you can do that through Twitter or at BUS Midcast or on the Scottish Baptist website, which is scottishbaptist.com forward slash Midcast. And you can get in touch with us there. Thanks for listening. I'm Glenn Innes. This has been the Midcast. We are out. You've been listening to the Midcast, a presentation of the Mission Initiative Group of the Baptist Union of Scotland.